Hello, Obsessors. Welcome to another episode of the Obsessed with Humans on the Verge of Change podcast. This is Tia, and Julie and I got the privilege of sitting down with Dr. Christopher Beavers. We are so excited to share everything that we learned with Dr. Beavers because this topic, digital interventions, was totally new to us. Dr. Beavers is a part of the Department of Psychology at the University of Texas. He is a professor and director of the Institute for Mental Health Research. He's very interested in using experimental psychology methods to understand why treatments work and translating these same methods into effective interventions for depression. He's particularly interested in utilizing technology for the treatment of depression and using data science to determine who is likely to benefit from these interventions. Get ready to learn a lot and expand your mind. Hey guys, welcome to Obsessed. Think of us as your personal development entourage, all wrapped up into one podcast. If you're committed to your personal development and believe your life is meant for more, then get ready to learn the tools you need to elevate this experience called life. Get obsessed with your life, just like us. We are Tia, Tristan, Mika, and Julie, and we are obsessed with humans on the verge of change. Hi, I'm Tristan, and I'm obsessed with your emotional well-being. It is so wonderful to have you here, Dr. Beavers. Thank you for joining us. That's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, Dr. Beavers, we love to kick off all of our podcasts with asking our guests, what are you obsessed with? I'm obsessed with trying to help people feel better. So a lot of our work that we're doing right now is trying to get much needed interventions out to people who need them most. Okay. Can we kind of elaborate or go into detail on what that means, these interventions that you're talking about? Sure. What we're trying to do is take what happens uh, in the therapy room, take it to a digital platform. So one of the really big barriers to receiving treatment is getting access to it. It's really difficult to access treatment, unfortunately. And so we're trying to remove that barrier by developing internet interventions that people can take from the privacy of their own home, that they can engage with on their own time at times that are convenient to them in the sort of privacy of their own home, and basically provide another way of accessing treatment for mental health concerns. Okay. So this is really fascinating. Dr. Beavers is on faculty at the University of Texas. He's a professor of abnormal psychology, which I want to kind of figure out what's the difference between psychology and abnormal psychology, number one. But I feel like you're talking about artificial intelligence in terms of therapy. Is that true? Am I catching on to this? Yeah, that's into a robot. Is that that's, what I am well, doing? That's, that's part of it. You know, we use artificial intelligence to sort of tailor the program to the to the patient. So rather than every patient receiving the exact same intervention, kind of like, you know, going through, a, you know, looking at different slides or reading a book in a particular order, the beauty of a digital intervention is that we can use artificial intelligence to try and tailor an intervention to the personal needs of an individual. So what that might look like is at the beginning of 
of the intervention, we'll ask a few questions, get a sense of what their concerns are, and then kind of order the intervention in a way that we think may be most effective for that particular patient. So I know you're an expert in on the topic of depression. And first of all, tell us what clinical depression is, and then also what you've seen in your practice in terms of treatments over the course of the years. Depression is this really broad construct that is fundamentally defined by persistent sad mood. So feeling down most of the day, nearly every day, and it has to be for at least a two week period to the point where it interferes with your functioning. So it's not just, you know, everyday kind of blues or you watch a sad movie and you tear up, you know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about feeling down and sad most of the day, nearly every day for at least a two week period. On top of that, some people report having anhedonia, which is just a a loss of interest in things that they used to enjoy. So it's really difficult to engage with their hobbies or to do things that they previously found enjoyable. They just no longer have that same appeal. And again, that needs to last for at least a couple of weeks. To be considered clinically depressed, you have to have one of those two symptoms for at least two weeks and then four additional symptoms on top of that. So things like changes in your sleep patterns, changes in your weight, feeling worthless as a person, things along uh, those lines. And so that if they're present for at least a a two-week period, you will be diagnosed with depression. The hard part about depression is it appears, it's really different. It presents very differently across different people. So for some people, they may have a predominant symptom of sadness. Other people, it may be this anhedonia combined with some sleep problems, and they may feel okay. They may not feel sad necessarily. They just have trouble with their motivation and engaging with things that they used to enjoy. So it can be really variable in terms of how depression presents itself. And that makes it sometimes really difficult to detect like, oh, is this person depressed or is there something else going on? For the digital interventions, will that happen prior to the diagnosis of being depressed or do you have to get diagnosed with depression and then engage in the digital interventions that you guys have been working on? A clinical diagnosis is not necessary. Really, we've developed this intervention and the one that I've worked the most with is called Deprexis. So we've developed Deprexis in order to be appropriate for just about anybody who feels down and sad. And so they don't have to have a clinical diagnosis of depression. I think even if, you know, if you've been feeling sad for a few weeks, maybe a month, maybe a couple of months, and maybe it's not severe enough to meet criteria for clinical depression, I still think it could be helpful for folks that, you know, are just sort of struggling to feel like they, you know, once did. And if it's, if they're having overtones of sadness and, and sort of apathy, they might consider a digital intervention like Deprexis. So could this digital intervention take place of meds or is it used with medication or what are your thoughts in that general conversation? I view most digital interventions as a really good candidate for a what we would call a first-line treatment. So something that you might try initially, particularly if you're waiting to see somebody 
in person. So sometimes at some clinics or some really active practices, it can be months before you're actually able to see somebody face-to-face. So we view these first-line treatments as options to people who are waiting for an intervention or can't access an intervention by kind of more normal means. So that's how I would initially think about it. The other piece is, let's say you are receiving medication treatment, but you still need a little extra boost beyond the medication. If you want to try something different, internet intervention could work well with a medication as well. I don't think that these interventions will ever replace therapists, will ever replace medication. That's not really the the goal, but it's really to try and just have another treatment option. And for some people, that may be all they need. They don't need to see a therapist. They don't need to see medication. It may be that they only need this internet intervention to kind of help get them back on track. For other people, internet intervention might not make a big difference and they really need a more intensive treatment. And so I don't think it'll replace, certainly won't replace medication or traditional therapy. I think it's just another kind of treatment option that may be a little more accessible to people. You know, I'm just trying to think of a lot of our listeners and who are experiencing depression. I personally have never been in the bowels of depression, but I've been had depressed moments throughout my life. And you're in this blackness, this bleakness. Quite often, the family doctor will throw drugs at them, drugs at them, drugs at them, and not do the therapeutic work. What can you tell our listeners that are feeling really low, have tried things or haven't tried things? What works these days? Because I'm not sure Big Pharma has our best interests in mind. And you can agree or disagree. Now, well, I think if you look at the research literature, what you find is that most traditional treatments work okay on average. They're not great. This is true for traditional therapy. This is true for medications. There's a lot of room for improvement. And this is true for internet interventions as well. It's certainly not going to be the cure for everybody. And so what the research also tells us, though, is the more treatments that somebody has tried, and I mean by treatments, I mean not just more of the same, but the more treatments of different modalities that they try. So medication doesn't seem to help. Well, let me now try therapy. Okay. Maybe a cognitive behavioral therapy that seems to have pretty good evidence for the treatment of depression. Okay. That, well, that didn't work. Well, then maybe let me try transcranial magnetic stimulation or some other modality. The more modalities you try, the more likely you are to respond that you're going to find a modality that works for you. But the key is to keep trying. You know, if you find a medication, you take a medication and it doesn't work, don't just stop there. There's a a lot of interest. My lab at the University of Texas is doing this as well. We're really interested in trying to streamline this process. So can we identify which treatment is going to work for which patient? That's like, that is a, a question that the field has been struggling with for at least four or five decades. And we're still struggling with it a little bit, but with the advent of machine learning and artificial intelligence, I think we're getting closer to beginning to identify 
which treatment might work best for whom and start to develop these algorithms that could then help people find the most appropriate treatment for them. Right now, unfortunately, it's a lot of trial and error. You just have to keep trying until you find one that works for you. And I wish it was more scientific than that, but unfortunately, that's just the state of the practice at the moment. I think that makes sense too. I mean, we're all such individual people with individual experience that it's hard to be like, this is what's going to work for you exactly. And this is what isn't because maybe it does work today, but tomorrow it could be different too. No, exactly. And those patient characteristics also interact with say therapist characteristics as well. So there may be some therapists that match particularly well with some patients. And so it gets very complicated very quickly when you start trying to do these kinds of patient matching to treatment. So Dr. Beavers, this is fascinating. And I recognize that you're a brilliant doctor, of course, but you're also just a mere mortal, a human being, a guy like everybody else out here, a human being. And I wonder, like, what is your backstory? How did you get into this? How were you propelled to take your interest in psychology this far? So I got into, it's not the most exciting story, but I'll tell it anyways. I got into this because I played a lot of competitive sports. I played a lot of competitive tennis and I realized the mental side of sport was really critical. And so I I knew I wanted to be a psychology major. And when I was investigating, all right, how do I go on? I think I might want to be a sports psychologist. How do I become a sports psychologist? Well, you have to go to graduate school. You have to get involved in research in order to get into graduate school. And so I got involved in helping out with some research that looked at sort of mental strategies that depressed people used to control their moods and things along those lines. And so I got kind of the research bug. I I realized, wow, this is really interesting. And I kind of made a career shift and said, all right, I really want to try and understand this a little bit better and got more involved in depression research. And I realized, you know, there really is this huge need for more research on depression and how to treat it, what causes it, you know, things along those lines. And so before long, I found myself in graduate school and continuing to, you know, study innovative interventions for depression and been at the University of Texas now for 17 years. And I've been, you know, focused on this question kind of ever since. So that's basically how I ended up in the place that I am now. So you were not thrust into the bowels of depression and family members, and you made this your life mission, but I'm sure you've been touched by it. Everybody has. I find your story fascinating. If you look at the statistics, one out of two people in their lifetime will have experienced some sort of mental health challenge, a diagnosable mental health challenge, one out of two. When you look at depression, it's one of the more prevalent mental health disorders. At some point in their lifetime, you're looking at sort of one out of five, one out of four people have probably experienced an episode of depression. So everybody, if you haven't experienced it yourself, you probably know somebody that has. The hard part with depression and other mental health challenges is that you often don't know. It's not talked about. There's a lot of stigma around it. You may know a number of people that have gone through things like this, but they haven't revealed it to you or, or it's just, it can be difficult to know. It's not like a physical injury where 
you're wearing a cast and people say, oh, what happened? You know, it's unfortunately something that people often struggle with on their own. I know personally, I've struggled with depression and anxiety and being diagnosed with it. It took me a long time to open up and let the people closest to me know about it because I felt that stigma of they're going to feel at blame or at fault for it. And that's something I've really tried to keep an open mind and being able to help educate people and knowing that it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of, like Julie had mentioned. And I know multiple people who have also lost the battle to depression and trying to clear that up. That stigma is so hard, especially I feel like for males, usually more so than females in our society. And I think what you're doing is amazing because it might be easier for people to approach the artificial intelligence versus approaching a person and talking about it. How have you seen kind of the stigma shift within your research while getting into the artificial side of it? That's a great point, Tia, just in terms of the males. Do you find it like males are more drawn to this getting help where they don't have to admit that there's something wrong with them, quote unquote, wrong with them? Yeah. So one of the better predictors of who responded well to the internet intervention was people who preferred their privacy, who didn't want to talk about this stuff with another individual. And so I think this, and men may be more likely to fall into that category, but anybody who prefers to be private and sort of not talk about this, this may actually be a reasonable place to start. And our hope is that once they start thinking about these things and seeing some of the ideas, because some of the ideas that are presented as part of Deprexis are the same ideas that you would present in a therapy session. And so it may be kind of a, you know, a first step towards therapy. It, it just sort of educates the patient a little bit about what therapy might look like. And it makes it a lot less threatening because you don't have to open up to another human being and worry about being judged and, you know, all of those things that people are often concerned about. So yeah, again, it could just be another avenue for treatment for people that are concerned about talking to a person. And I love that it's the first step that you keep mentioning too, because it's a, it's another step towards therapy. It's another step towards getting that help. And it doesn't have the side effects that medication does a lot of the time. And knowing that you don't have to put your body internally through, you know, some of those questionable like side effects and new symptoms that do occur with medication too. I think that's really cool. And this is just a really exciting topic. And I love that you're getting the word out there and just diving in deeper to help those that do need it. Thanks for saying that. And well, one other thing that's really cool about this and therapy is it can continue to work even after you're no longer using it. You know, you may learn things during this internet intervention. You may learn things during therapy that you carry forward with you. With medication, medication, if it works for you, it works while you're taking it. But as soon as you stop taking it, obviously you don't get the benefits from it anymore. And so, you know, there are some enduring effects that can be really nice, sort of a nice aspect of therapy and internet interventions is that you learn things that you can take forward and take with you, even when you're still not actively in treatment. I love that. You just want to kick depression's ass, so to speak, if I may say that word. So we love that. Okay. So I guess, you know, before we like throw a little surprise on you. Okay. So if any listener here is worried about somebody in their family or friend that may they think have depression. Can you tell them what the signs are to look for and 
if a loved one is exhibiting something a little bit off, if you will? First off, if you if your sort of gut instinct is telling you that something may not be right with the family member, you should listen to that. But if they're exhibiting things like they are getting more tearful at relatively minor or you know, watching the news and they find you see them sort of repeatedly choking up or tearing up when they wouldn't normally do that. If you're seeing big changes in their sleep, I think sleep can sometimes be the canary in the coal mine that sort of tells you, hey, there may be a problem coming down the line. If their sleep is disrupted, that can be a sign. You know, like I was talking about earlier, if they are more down and, and more sad for a persistent length of time, for me, that's key. If this is something that's ongoing on the order of weeks rather than, you know, days or hours, but if somebody is in this, seems off for you know many weeks at a time, that may be a sign that they could benefit from some treatment. Wow. Okay. Thank you so much. And you're not off the hook yet. So I'm not sure if you know this. Sometimes T and I are inspired to do a lightning round. So it may have nothing to do with abnormal psychology or depression, but we're going to get into the brain of Dr. Beavers. So Boy. this is going to be an interesting exercise. So you'll have to play it for your students because they will enjoy hearing this. Right. Okay. <laughs> They'll get to know you a little bit better. Okay. Tia, do you want to kick it off? What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? To think about my work as a marathon rather than a sprint. And so the rewards tend to go to those who keep going rather than you know those that take off quickly, but burn out not long after that. Love that. Okay. Favorite thing to do when you're not doctoring, you're not talking about psychology, you're not talking about depression, you're just Christopher. Favorite thing to do? Well, I mean, I mentioned before playing tennis, I still continue to play a ton of tennis and ride bikes all over Austin as well. And so when I'm not doing those two things, then, you know, enjoying an IPA with a couple of friends is also a good way to spend some time. Love that. Okay. Favorite book. Oh gosh. Um, I've read so many, it's hard to kind of narrow it down, but I would say a book that I really enjoyed. So I read a lot of fiction kind of at the end of the day, just to wind down, help me go to sleep nothing too heavy, but a book that I read very recently that I enjoyed quite a bit was Project Hail Mary. It's a science fiction book, but it was, it was really enjoyable and it's a, a fun read. I love that. You need a break. Sometimes. Yeah, no, You exactly. do need a break. Okay. So the last show you binge watched, do you know what binge watching is? Yes. Okay. Um, Binge watching is probably relative, you know, so for me watching the same show a few nights in a row is kind of binge watching. My wife and I just finished binge watching the, what's it called? White Lotus, the HBO show. Um, I watched that. White Lotus. Yeah, it, it was, I thought it was quite good. It's very interesting. So there's can... a wife. So we don't have to ask that question. Right. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Best vacation you've ever taken? Well, I mean, I guess you maybe you primed it with the wife question, but our honeymoon was in St. John's in the Caribbean. That was a really relaxing and a great place to be for a few days. Ooh, I've never been there. Sounds yeah, delightful. you got to go. Well, can I go? I'm not sure. 
when we can go. Yeah. Okay. So final question, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Hopefully healthy. That's always a big question mark. And so hopefully, you know, healthy and continuing to do what I'm doing now. Hopefully we'll get more word out about some of these internet interventions and helping more people get the kinds of help that they need. And so, yeah, if I'm lucky, I'll be sitting right here in this office 10 years from now, giving you guys uh, the update on how uh, things have gone. Oh, we would love that. Hold you to that one. Right. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Beavers. And we will put, if you want to learn more about Dr. Christopher Beavers, we are going to put links in our show notes and we will give you resources if you are suffering from depression or if you know anyone that is suffering from depression. We appreciate you. We appreciate Dr. Beavers and tap on those five stars if you enjoyed this amazing conversation with Dr. Christopher Beavers. And everybody, there is no shame in the mental health game, number one. And number two, get obsessed with your life. Thank you, Dr. Christopher Beavers, for an amazing conversation on a serious subject. We so appreciate it. Everybody at Obsessed and all of our obsessors, we keep learning, we keep growing, because if you're not growing... You're dying. So commit yourself every day to learn something new. And don't forget to tap on those five stars and leave us a message at crown underscore compass girls on Instagram because we answer each message directly because this podcast is about you and for you. So go have an amazing day and get obsessed with your life.